folks, and welcome back to the 747 Conversations podcast. It's your host, Chris Shembra, broadcasting live from beautiful summer New York City. Today we're talking all about gratitude, empathy, and the importance of experiences in human connection. Right now in the offices of Saros with their founder and CEO, Simon Berg. Saros uh, is quite a unique company, um, a cloud-based experiential content marketing platform. Uh, that is dedicated to human experiences. Fortune 10 best, pla- best workplaces in America, Inc. 5000 fastest growing private companies in America. You know, purchasing decisions are entirely human, even B2B ones. And humans make decisions based on logic and feelings. Saros knows that feelings are formed by experiences, and they're the king of doing just that. Simon, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much can't believe we're only 10 seconds in and you made me feel a bit teary. <laughs> <laughs> that proves I'm into humans. That really does. It's a, it's a good feeling sitting in this office to look out and see all the post-it notes on the walls and, the, and uh, the amazing people hard at work. With everywhere that your company is growing and growing so fast, the simple question that I have to start us off with today is, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, or just have never thought to give any credit or thanks to, whether it's someone you've never met before or someone you've known your entire life, who would that be? That's such a tough question. And I've been thinking about it the last 10 minutes. I was thinking, and there's so many people on the list. And I'm doing my very best to stay away from the cliche, which would be my wife, because we've been together almost eight years and married for five um, and she, I'm pretty confident if I hadn't met my wife, I wouldn't be here where I am today because I basically said I wouldn't do this business venture that I'm doing right now if she hadn't backed me because we were in London when we originally moved over here. And I also think she she stops me being the bad side of me. <laughs> she keeps me honest and straight. And looks after me. So there's no question that she would go on the list. You're not asking for a list. You're asking for an individual. My wife has to go on the list, even though you don't want a list. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, would, you, would you be offended if I gave you more than one? No, this is yours. Here's something that I wouldn't normally say. So I, I was speaking to you earlier, Chris, about the fact that I just went to a, um, effectively a spiritual retreat of sorts. It's a d- deep dive into childhood and trauma and life. I've never done anything like that in my entire life. I've always shied away from the spiritual side. Um, and something compelled me to do it, and I did it recently. Um, six days, no phone, no computer. Digging into, and, and <laughs> performing really, really interesting kind of, self-discovery exercises with a group of 23 humans. And um, the name I should put on that list based on what I learned at that retreat is actually myself, which is not what you would expect and it sounds arrogant, but I left that retreat discovering that I'd basically spent the last 42 years or at least the last 30 years of my life fundamentally thinking I'm a fraud and not really having enough gratitude and self-compassion. And as a result, that created a bunch of patterns in me. So 
if the folks from the Hoffman process, which is where I was, were here, they'd be like, you have to mention yourself, you know, you can't spend your life giving gratitude and self-compassion and, and uh, all the kudos to everybody else. So yeah, me a bit. And um, I think probably the only other thing I would, um, I would probably have to, at least have to mention would be um, both my mother and father in the good way and the bad way, which again, come from the retreat I just did. Half the patterns that make me who I am are a result of the things they did that fucked me up. And half the patterns that make me who I am are the things that they did to make me strong. So, and particularly, in some regards, my mother, which is tough for me to say because she and I don't have the best relationship. But my mum deserves some credit. You're 42 years old? 43. 43. What happened when you were 12? Dude, don't know that. I'll cry. Because <laughs> uh, you just mentioned something about 30 years. Yeah, the answer to that question is um, I think I became aware of just how tough things were with my parents, for what it's worth. And um, that created, I think, behavioral patterns in me that defined who I am. And part of that was... Um, rebelling against parts of my parents and adopting patterns that, or, you know, sort of approaches to life that they both have. So I think that that period in my life was a particularly tough time. Funny you should mention 12, though, by the way, just as sort of anecdote from this thing I was at, um, this retreat. One of the exercises they get you to do, which is really profound, and I would recommend it to anyone, it's really interesting, is you write a narrative, so a dialogue between yourself and your mother at 12, and you at 12, and your father at 12, and you at 12. And you chose that, that age, which is really interesting that you chose that, that exact age. So you have to imagine yourself sitting on a, on a beach or on a lake or whatever, on a dock, with your 12-year-old self, being your 12-year-old self, with your 12-year-old mother and your 12-year-old father, and you have to create a dialogue between the two of you. It's really interesting. I wrote nine pages for both of them <laughs> and learned so much. I've no idea if it's all true because you're writing their half of the dialogue, but you reread it and you're like, wow, good God. And it really, interestingly, to you, I think to the topic we're on today, is it when you do that, you kind of remember that everybody's largely born unprogrammed, it helps you with any feelings you've got towards your parents or anyone else in the world. So if you meet someone and you don't judge them, and you're able, <coughs> at the point that you do, to take yourself out of the moment, don't get triggered, don't react in a sort of a typical compulsive way just take a moment pause and think this person was two three five twelve once what happened to them at that point in their life to create the human that I'm yelling at because they cut me up at the lights or said something rude to me in the in the, the bodega it's a really interesting exercise and when you do that with your parents you learn a lot and and so you mentioned that everybody's pretty much born unprogrammed and then somehow we develop the narrative that we're bad or that we're a fraud or that we're an imposter. Or that we're a genius or that we're perfect or that we're, you know, born sightly. I mean, it can be good, bad or indifferent. They're, they're imposed beliefs that you get, you know, put onto you when you're in your most formative years. And, and so what what year did you meet your wife? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, how, it, how old? 2011, 10, 2010. Okay, so, so you were uh, 33. 
God, young man. And so in those 11 years, you know, what were you telling yourself in which, you know, she had to save you from being a fraud? She had to support you to take a risk and take the next leap of your own existence. What were those 11 years, you know, what was the conversation with yourself there? For the bulk of that period of my life, in the last two years have been a little more evolving. I'm, I'm finding new parts of myself, hence this sort of decision to go on a, on a retreat and dig a little deeper. But for the bulk of those 11 years, I was telling myself what I'd always told myself. Deep, deep down, I'm not good enough. I'm a fraud. I can't do it. Outwardly, doing great in the world, bringing joy, inspiration, motivation, achieving the unachievable, doing what can't be done, doing what people say you shouldn't do or can't be done or won't be done or is unachievable in a almost frantic-like fashion. And that <clears throat> ties slightly back into the why of Seros because you know, I'm, I'm quoting Simon Sinek here, so I can't own this, but um, he always says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I've I lived that way for years. Didn't really know it. Watched his TED talk, which is you know now you know really well recognised, and um, realised that that's who I am. And it became very apparent to me that what what had become important to me was creativity. So, uh, you know, the sort of personal why for me, which is bled entirely into the company that I'm fortunate enough to run, has been creativity matters. That's why I do what I do. And I don't know, it's because I never found spirituality or if I didn't believe in God or I don't really know what it was. All I knew was that having an idea brand new or an innovation or something new in the world, building, creating something from nothing gives me just deep set of sense of satisfaction. And I was, I was really pleased to learn at the process that I just went and did that one of your authentic traits is, is that you should work on is creativity. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Like one of the things in the authentic column is what I've been living for the last 25, 30 years of my life. Um, but yeah, that as a, as a, as a thing to drive me um, has, has been compelling me into your question over the last 12 years, what's been going on is in my quest to fight against the universe because of programmed patterns in me as a child and rebelling against parents or mi mimicking parents or just trying to deal with internal anxieties about who I am and what I want to be, I've always driven towards creating. So to go all the way back to 11 years ago, I sold my agency business in the UK and spun out Seros, which is where it was kind of went from being an idea in an agency to an actual software product and we raised money that 11 year journey from you know from from, from there to here or eight year journey there's been a lot about pushing the creative boundaries and doing things that can't be done with the support which I bring all the way back to my wife and my wife there because without her support I I'd either take the left road, as they say on the Hoffman process, a little too often, or I would, um, I don't know, I'd lose focus, something like that. She just keeps me honest. My wife doesn't take any bullshit. <laughs> She's tough as nails. So when she inherited your shit, when she first met you 11 years ago, you know, were, were you ashamed of your creativity? I mean, you talk about to be living authentic, you have to be creative, but did people tell you as a kid that... You weren't going to make anything of yourself by being creative. It's a complicated. No, it's a complicated story. I think um, the the work I've done that's got me to where I am, at least what I think drives me, was 
some of the tough times that I went through with my parents as a kid, and I've had this conversation in depth with my father, not quite so much with my mum, she's not quite so, you know, doesn't find it so easy to talk about, but nonetheless talked about it. There were some tough times. And as children, um, when you're starved of some of the core things you need, like, you know, nurturing or um, uh, caregiving or whatever, and you're witnessing things, arguments, tension, anxiety in the air, sensing things, you, without a caregiver and security and comfort around you, you typically create coping strategies. Um, I was blessed, I guess, in many regards, that the majority of mine was creative. Build something, make something, fix something, change something, create something. Now, I don't know that that was the coping strategy, but I'm pretty confident with the work I've done with therapy and just getting to know people over the years, business coaches, and then obviously on this retreat. I'm pretty confident that's what went on. So I think that was where I coped for a period of my life. And I think in terms of the fraud thing, you're asking the question and I happen to have done a bunch of work on it. I think it partly was um, is born out of um, it, it, it's, it's something in the way in which my parents were. My mother was a little less confident about who she was and what she should be and my father was loved by many people. A lot of people really loved my dad and, and um, he did very well in business in the end. He was the father of a trash guy so he wasn't born into success he made his way but I think there's something in the way I was raised that created this sort of question mark in my mind I was never academically any good I was academically useless I mean just hopeless like terrible which was partly to do with the fact that I hated authority I was a rebellious type child I was useless academically like useless so every career step I've made I don't fit the mold that society would suggest oh this individual should you know, fits the mold. I'm not a classically trained CEO. I don't have an education. I left school at 16. It's all learnt on the job. There is no real qualifications. So there's this sort of strange feeling, which is less there now after I've done a bit of intense work recently, that someone's going to tap me on the shoulder one day and say, you're full of shit. You're making this up. It doesn't matter what I achieve. It doesn't seem to go away entirely. It's better now after the retreat. It's just there in the back of my mind that someone's going to tap me on the shoulder. It doesn't matter what we do. We're a 200-person company. We've got 400 customers. Revenue's growing at almost 100% year on year for three years. I mean, I'm incredibly fortunate that we've built something amazing. But still, in my heart, I'm like, yeah, but someone's going to find out soon, right? <laughs> Which is just so absurd. Because, like, when does that go away? It makes no sense. I mean, But it drives you, so. I mean, I imagine that that your wife's found out that you're just complete bullshit, right? No, because I'm not. That's the reality. That's That was the work I did recently. I'm not. I don't, I mean, I, I, it's still a twinge. I mean, I'm 43. You can't fix that in six days. But genuinely, I can look someone in the eye and go, I'm not a fraud, actually. I am a good person. I have done really good things. I've brought um, inspiration and... and um, new ways of thinking and happiness and joy to hundreds of people in the current organization, hundreds in the last one, many of my friends, my wife, my family. And, and I, I, I don't feel it. It's, like it's, it's gone a lot, 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 but it was pretty bad. You know, you went back seven years ago, I, something deep in me, I was like, what, what, what? Well, so it sounds like, you know, the coping mechanism that, you know, creativity was born out of was due to lack of nurture from your mother. When you met your wife, and she cut through the fraud and the bullshit and the bad, and she saw the good in you. 
did you marry your mother? <laughs> you went deep. <laughs> <laughs> did this company become your own stepmother? You know, if your company was a uh, gender, what would it be? I, those are all the follow-up questions I have for that. I don't well, know why I went so you went many the, of them. You went to so many at once and uh, starting with it. Um, I married my wife. She's just an amazing woman. She truly is. She's just the most amazing woman in the world in every regard. She's beautiful both on the inside and outside. She really is to the point where I bought her on welling up. I'm blessed to have her. She's had a, she had a troubled childhood also, but she got herself into a very good spot, and, you know, around her early 20s, and she's now early 30s. Um, so, no, I married Dee, or Davila is her actual name, um, and she's just terrific. Sure. Do I see bits of her that remind me of my mum and my dad? Yeah, there's bits of human stuff in there, I'm sure, but she's unique. They, they broke the mould when they made Dee, <laughs> trust me. If you ever get to meet her, you'll find out. Um, and then in terms of where you went after that, which was what would the gender of the company be? What would you, the gender of the company be? And, you know, what is, you know, what kind of nurturing does it provide you? Company gender. Well, that's a hot potato you handed me. Um, I think it would be, it, it would be a male business it would it would be male it would identify to be you know really on point as being a male um it'd be pretty tough but if you get to know it it's actually full of a ton of love and a, a whole bunch of emotional soft stuff i mean you, you i'm tough people meet me and they're like wow that guy's driven and dogmatic and tough but I was just on a, I mean, I literally was on a retreat that we went through this process and people there judged me like that in the first day. By the end, they were like, you're like one of the, I mean, I bawled my eyes out in front of everybody and cried and love and, and this company has that, it's got that. And interestingly, when it comes to gender, I love, if you ignore gender for a second, men, women, you know, uh, someone who doesn't identify with either, whatever. There's something amazing about someone identifying with who they are in terms of their sexuality or whatever, but then being super tough and strong and confident and passionate, but also being really soft underneath and really caring. There's something beautiful about that, regardless of gender. And um, I've met you know, men, women, and everything in between that fit that mold, and I love them. In fact, I just interviewed a candidate yesterday. It was actually a woman um, for a very senior role in the organization, and she had a lot of those traits. She like that real. She was tough, but you could see she was soft too. How, just, do, how do you how do you look for that? How do you filter through that? I mean, here you are, you know, little four, things. The answer little is things. little things. Little things. This woman had a handshake that almost crushed my hand, <laughs> but she walked into the ballroom on our on our new floor. We're just in the middle of finishing the renovation off. We have a young kid here, a guy called Nick, who we hired as a general um, as a GC to full time because he does our building work, but he also does our event stuff. Sweet kids, like 26 years of age, full of energy, you know, fresh eyes, looking at the world, wants to help all the people. He's a great kid. And then um, he was in the ballroom removing a vacuum cleaner because he was in the middle of finishing off another part of this room because we just found out in the vault. And this woman that just had just shaken my hand pretty firmly uh, and had a look about her that said, I don't take any bullshit. 
I watched her, and as he was leaving the room with this very complex, big vacuum cleaner, and he got towards the glass door, without even a blink, she rushed around from the other side and held the door open for him. I don't know. Many people would have just ignored that or not even noticed it. I was like, you just shook my hand. You have a gravitas about you. There's a, there was an air about this woman I met. And um, strong handshake. And yet there was a caring part of her that understood that there are other humans and didn't judge. And you can see it. How you systematize that screening is tough. Mm. It's really hard. It's really hard. We've been talking about how to, to get to know, to know people. Because interviews are you know, half acting you want to get past that and see do they blank the waiter do they are they polite to the you know the, the woman in the bodega are they how are they going to work in who are they and you can't it's not really easy to screen for that in an interview you can argue the creative in me says the interview process for most businesses is screwed let's fix that and actually that's one of the things i've been saying to the to the, some of the candidates for the chief people officer which is one of the roles we've got open at the moment is I really want to take the the entire people function, HR, talent acquisition, nurturing, etc., and go. Let's imagine it's all shit. What would we do? Which is how a creative mind would look at it and go. Well, why? Why has it always been done that way? That's ridiculous. That interview process is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Let's reinvent it. And I haven't had a chance to do that on the people function in our business because we haven't had the bandwidth or the capital. We now have the capital, and we're going to build the bandwidth. But finding a way to screen for that would be one. A fun thing to do that doesn't involve accidentally having the general construction guy in the room trying to get out with the vacuum cleaner and picking up that the uh, the candidate happens to open the door. If your mom had to come in and teach a class to your team right now, what would you have her teach? Um... Especially if it's my younger mum. My young, my mum as a younger person, interesting, it's just sort of connected with me as, I'm, as we're talking about this. My mother took no bullshit and she was tough and she could do anything. She was well known for the fact that she used to play squash with my father and she used to m- beat multiple men at squash, at the squash club. She was tough. It's funny actually, now I'm connecting the dots why I like that in people. Um... And, like, she would drive any car that we had. And if we were moving, she'd drive the moving truck. So I think she would, um, she could teach something in that arena of being, you know, that, that strength isn't about gender, you know, or anything can be tackled if you believe in yourself. The younger, the younger version of my mum would, she taught me that. It, it waned, it's waned a bit as she's gotten older, unfortunately. But the... 30-year-old version of my mum. You couldn't... I remember all my buddies like, your mum's amazing. She just does everything. She'd pick up things that men wouldn't pick up, move stuff, and just... If something needed painting, she'd paint it. She'd just, you know... Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't let um, any preconceived notions about what she could or couldn't do get in her way. I miss that about her. For it's worth If she was sitting in this room right now, instead of me with the fanny pack, <laughs> what would you say to her? Oh man, you're really going deep. Um, I would I would say to her what I'm supposed to say to her when I see her after the process, which is, Mom, I see you and I love you. 
and I give her a big hug, and she would l- probably blab like a baby, and we probably both would. That's the answer. And you, if you had to say that similar things to yourself, what would you say? <laughs> It'd be the same thing. I see you, and I love you, and I think um, that was one of the things I got out of it. Is that you know, you gotta self compassion is really important. The human condition is flawed. No one's perfect, and if it's interesting, one of the things we talked about <coughs> this thing was um, uh, uh, the word uh, escapes me. the The word is. Um, uh, being vindictive towards people. Uh, it was interesting. I really struggle to 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 be that way, to, to go out of my way to think, I'm really going to hurt you because I want to do something bad to you, to an individual. I, I literally, it was a group of 22 people and they all had to come up to, 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 to come up with someone where they felt that um, that way about, and they took that, that, that during this session, about the 22 people. Can you think of someone that you feel that way too. I'm not even sure I'm using the right word, vindictive, but you feel, you want to, in a calculated and measures way, do harm to them because they've harmed you or done Mm. something to you in your life. I can't remember, for some reason the word is escaping me, but maybe it's vindictive, but, they started with two, someone, two people to the right of me and went around in a circle and they got to me and I was like, I'm really struggling. And they went around the whole group and you just had to, had to say the person's first name, I think, and then, and then how long ago they did this thing to you where you, where you started on a sort of course to, to consider wanting to do harm to them or trying to, to, to do something to them. Got back to me and I was the only person out of 22 people. I was like, I literally can't give you anyone. And there are people that have done me harm in my life. What I realised um, when I was talking to one, one of the guys, there, guy was a, this guy was um, a heroin addict three years ago, Andy, who I really you know fell in love with. He's such a lovely kid, such a talented artist. My God, thinks he's not, but he, he writes, sings, plays all the instruments, amazing. And this young kid, Andy, was telling me about someone in his life that for two or three years has basically been tormenting him and messing with his life and screwing with him, and like a light switch. I became vindictive. Like, I'm, let's get in the car now, <laughs> if we could leave this place, because we can't, because we're here for six days. Let's go sort this guy out. I'm gonna sort this guy out. D- dairy pick on Andy. So easy for me to turn it on like that, and I couldn't for myself. And the realization I had is because I didn't feel I was worthy of the compassion. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a really profound moment for me that realizing that so I'm not good at it. Well, Simon, the only thing that I can say in closing is that I see you, (laughs) you're worthy, I hear you, all our listeners have heard you, and in interviewing 994 individuals in the last five months around this question, only 0.2 people have given voice to themselves. So I thank you for going there. Because our world needs to hear a lot more of that self-compassion and gratitude to self. Any last words in closing for our listeners? No. I'm welling up. Why? But just because um, you just caught me at an interesting time to do this podcast. It's, com- it's the, universe, the universe and what it 
where, where it sends you and things. I would end up on a process that involves self-gratitude and self-compassion um, and and completely by happenstance I would get an email from someone that wants to to talk to me about gratitude two weeks after I come back from a process that's about gratitude for others, gratitude for self, compassion for others, compassion for self, is profound and only continues what I learned on that little journey, which is that um, regardless of whether it's God as you see it, higher power, spiritual self, whatever you want to call it, or a spiritual guide, or the universe hears you and you should connect with it because it wants you to. I don't know if you notice behind your head there's actually a celestial universe oh, yeah. <laughs> twisting around the head, twisting around the old the screen. screen. Yeah, I think we'll sign off on that then. But thank you so much. It's been really fun. Well, folks, you uh, you heard a lot today. And uh, and Simon, I, I thank you for your words and I thank you for what you brought to this this conversation. You know, it all comes down to a couple words that, that Simon said. Authenticity creativity and self because at the end of the day this podcast or this you know conversation series we can tell the stories of people gra- giving gratitude to others overcoming fear resilience liberation etc uh, but for, for Simon to turn the tables on himself is quite a unique thing and uh, to to identify that we all have a fraud deep within we all have the imposter syndrome. We all have something bad about us. Um, but that's where the opportunities for connection come. You know, as you know, in this conversation today, we didn't talk about the highlights. We talked about the lowlights. And those lowlights, uh, you can all empathize with. You can all connect with. Um, and that's how you, you create lasting connection in this world. Um, everything that Simon talked about today... Um, his entire company, Saros, um, does. Um, he talked about his why. As Simon Sinek famously says, uh, there is a what and a how, and that is Saros. Um, it is the the physical implementation of Simon's amazing conversation today. So check them out online. The link is in the bio. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Hope you all are having a phenomenal day on Earth. Remember, folks, It's your world. Go explore, and we'll see you next episode.